pose a bigger risk on spreading the news because it will require no, traveling around spreading the country. The news? So not spreading the news? Oh, fake, <laughs> fake news. <laughs> It's Friday, April the 24th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Öfnens Dissusions Orgien Fischweiger, and with me today are Dutch News Contributing Editor and Astronomer Otto Didact, Molly Quell, and Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Insurrectionist. It's way too early for ridiculous German <laughs> words. You went for it, Gordon! I did, I, 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 I have to say I've been practicing, I must, I must confess. I when I saw this discussions organ when I saw this come up this week, I was like, "Oh, we should make a joke about this on the podcast." And I was like, "Nobody can pronounce this. Like, what? No, we can't say that." What? This is Anglia Merkel's new word that went the the went viral because yeah, she was talking about she was warning the German states because Germany's. Uh, starting to uh, release its lockdown, and because the kind of the, the rules in Germany are basically de- um, determined by the um, the the, uh, the regions, the, the Bundesländer, uh, rather than the national government, uh, she was warning them not to get involved in Öffnungsdiskussions Orgien, which is orgies of discussions about reopening. Which is <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a beautiful German word, I have to say. It's yeah. a little bit disturbing, but it's a beautiful word. The Germans yeah. have won coronavirus, man. They have just won it. They have, yeah. They should yeah. just have yeah. the trophy now. Yeah. They should just cancel the season. It's it's over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's also um, because Germany is um, obligating people to wear face masks. I yeah. think some parts yeah. are not everywhere. Again, some this, parts is, but are. this is a, a, a this is a regional decision. I think, I think Bavaria has decided it's going to make uh, face masks compulsory, but not Berlin. So hmm. interesting. Uh, yeah, so I saw an article yesterday about the face mask in Ber- in, uh, in in Germany somewhere somewhere in Germany, uh, and uh, there was a a I think an official who was quoted saying, uh, "Yeah, everybody is wearing his face mask now. The discipline here is phenomenal." <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. this, uh, Did he step back and expect everyone to be surprised? <laughs> uh, anyway, Paul, uh, I had to ask you, um, uh, why have you suddenly had to, to, uh, taken up against uh, royal families around the, around Europe? Uh, I noticed yesterday first you were kind of mocking Charles and Camille, or to turn Charles and Camilla into a meme, and then you pledged on Twitter. Uh, so it's, it's, it's so you can't go back now. It's, it, it's set in stone. Uh, you, you you pledged on Twitter to uh, keep insulting the king for as long as it was necessary to, uh, until he got locked up for his Majesty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 did I do that? Yes, I yes you remember. did. Yeah. Yes, you did. did I? Yeah. I only said I, I was I was willing to pay a lot of money to see <laughs> Princess Beatrix uh, uh, go in a fight with Ben Coase. Yeah, uh, in, a, in a hairdressing salon, I think. In a hairdressing yeah. salon, yeah, yeah. Uh, we were talking about um, uh, Majesty's was yeah, that in English? Uh, Les Majesty. For the people <laughs> listening to this podcast who do not speak either yeah. French or Dutch, they're referring to the law that makes it <laughs> illegal to insult the royal family or the king, I think, in this case. Yeah, and uh, I think it was abolished two years ago, or it's officially, um, there's no law against insulting the king now. So I think uh, the, but there is. It was a court case, wasn't it? The court basically said that although this law existed, it wouldn't, you know, that there was no situation in which you would actually be um, convicted of it. 
No, but still, uh, as it should be, because it's a ridiculous yeah. law. But if you have it, then okay, then you shouldn't you shouldn't prosecute a- anyone for for doing that. But yeah. still, uh, in the past years, we saw a lot of cases of people who who were convicted or had to uh, pay fines because they had insulted the king, which is of course very ridiculous. Uh, but now that law is abolished, I think two years ago. But it's still uh, forbidden to insult public servants. Yeah. Uh, right. So, for example, policemen or firefighters. But the king is, of course the most well-paid public servant of the Netherlands so it's still forbidden to insult him but not um, specifically the king but uh, public public servants in general yeah so so, so you can insult him for being king but if you call him like a kutamtenar or something then you're in trouble Yes, yeah, yes, okay, you shouldn't right. call him a good Amtenar. Um But yeah, we were joking about um, uh, insulting the king and uh, someone uh, on Twitter replied, yeah, if you insult Beatrix now, she will personally come and uh, and kick your ass, basically. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I, I would I would be willing to pay money to see that. But uh, given that the hairdressers um, are, are banned for the, for the near future, we will probably not see her in public again anytime soon. Yeah, yeah that, had, that thought hadn't occurred to me till yesterday that my mind was blown because of course Beatrix is known for this sort of expertly quaffed kind of helmet of hair that I'm sure is now looking a little ragged and uh, yes. she would never appear in public in shows of state. Yeah. yeah. So Gordon, you've given me this horrible uh, job title. I don't understand it. So what is, uh, what's that all about? Well, astronomer autodidact, just because uh, you, you've been telling me all week about how you were trying to stop yourself going stir crazy during lockdown by listening to extremely highbrow audiobooks. Well, I spent the first few weeks in lockdown stopping myself from going crazy by translating Dutch poetry, and now yeah. I've moved on to listening to uh, A Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking. Um, while doing jigsaw puzzles. Form, while doing jigsaw puzzles, while my sourdough rises. Yes. Um, because I've, I've gone to expert quarantine level. <laughs> yeah. The, the, this is a level that, uh, the, the, this that is none of us uh, has, has yet managed to get anywhere near. To no. Say. no. Well, well, you, you haven't dr- drank bleach yet. So, Not yet, uh, but uh, the so, day is young, Paul. <laughs> the day is very it's young. Very young. Indeed. Um, do we have some uh, some opef, Paul? And I think it's even non-corona related. It's uh, no. It's cor- well, it's it's a little it's bit. Corona corona. There is a kind of Corona tangent, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Indeed, yeah. yeah. It's about uh, the most famous Dutch pollster, Maurice de Hond. He publishes every week a poll with a virtual seat distribution of the Tweede Kamer, and he's therefore a very influential figure in Dutch politics. He also polls a lot of other stuff. Um, if there is uh, some sort of public debate, then he will poll uh, what what the opinions in the in the countries are. Yeah. Um, and he breaks and it down sort of by vote for party. I don't know how on earth he does that. So actually, how actually works out what what proportion of 50 plus voters you know think the speed limit should be reduced to 100 kilometers that kind yeah. of thing yeah yeah sometimes something like that sometimes it's very useful but sometimes you you wonder how on earth uh, do you do that and it's, his methods have been questioned uh, on many occasions in the past uh, as well um but he does not stick to polling however and often he ventilates his sometimes controversial opinions on various topics uh, in the past weeks, he mentioned in several interviews and on online blogs that he did not understand the Dutch talk show hadn't invited him yet to talk about his plans to contain the coronavirus. Because, you know, everybody here in the Netherlands uh, became a, yeah. a virologist. Well, we have 17 and, uh, and a half million experts in virology, and yet uh, Maris de Hunt has been left out. Hang on, hang on, yeah. hang on. If I complain about this on Twitter, will a Dutch talk show also invite me on to tell to let me share my plans for how to combat corona? 
Well, apparently that's the case because the following day he was invited in a Dutch uh, talk show to talk about his uh, stupid plan. <laughs> and the next day, uh, after his appearance on the talk show, De Hond cited an article on a very notorious conspiracy website as a source for his point of view on the coronavirus measures. And this added fuel to the annoyance of many people who criticized the talk shows for, you know, keep inviting random people with no scientific, medical or virological qualifications whatsoever to comment on the uh, coronavirus measures. So, uh, to me, I always found it uh, an annoying uh, person, I have to admit, but but now he really has discredited himself, uh, for me at least. He's now now just a very annoying, self-proclaimed expert on uh, virology. uh, Yeah, who who reads stuff on conspiracy websites? Yeah, but what what gets me about this, though, on on Twitter is that people complain that the people on the talk shows uh, have no um, knowledge, have no kind of uh, credentials to discuss virology. When they actually get natural virologist on, everyone goes mad and says uh, you're you're trying to kill people by herd immunity. Yeah, so uh, you you can't can't satisfy people. No, that's true. We have all these sort of uh, celebrities in the Netherlands whose whose job is basically to appear on this talk show and to give their comments and their thoughts and their opinions on 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 basically every topic uh, you can imagine. And uh, you know, usually in usual times that doesn't really matter because it's not that important. But now we are talking about uh, now we're living in this coronavirus uh, era, and uh, 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 we are all in 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 a lot of danger. And I don't want to hear about the opinion of some sort of singer i don't want to hear about uh the opinion of of, of gordon the singer on the crew i mean i don't want to hear uh, about the opinion of gordon the podcast co-host I know, yeah, but here no, we no, are yeah let alone <laughs> gordon the singer yeah. and, i only want uh, people on talk shows who have two phds both in relevant <laughs> subjects that's like the minimum baseline you got to have a phd in statistics and vir- virology in order to be on a talk show to talk about coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah. And yesterday there was a, they had a topic about, uh, you know, what do you do with the intensive care? Uh, if you have, you know, patients who, for example, cancer patients who need to be on the intensive care, but all the capacity, all the capacity goes to coronavirus patients. How do you do that? How do you deal with that? That's, that's a very interesting topic. That's, that's, uh, relevant. That's, 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 you know, it's very hard to explain. And then all of a sudden they say, uh, in the middle of the the interview, yeah, I'm sorry, we have to go on because Sibrand van Haarsma Buma played with a drone in Friesland. We have to talk about that. And I'm like, why are we... Why? Nobody wants to hear about Sibrand Buma with a drone. We want to hear about what's happening in the hospital. I mean, Sibrand Buma with a drone is a step up from being like, and now we're going to go to the winners of season three's Love <laughs> Island to hear some ta- how they're talking about, you know, dealing with lockdown. Yeah, I'm just I'm just very annoyed by that, and I just, I just need to stop watching all these. Yeah, you just uh, switch your television talks. off. That, yes, that, 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 that's the only, and that's, the only, that's the only cure. And Twitter. Yeah, yeah, and, so, and, and, and don't read the Facebook comments either. Our our <laughs> editor in chief has been frequently complaining in our WhatsApp group about all of the garbage that she's seeing on TV, <laughs> and I want to propose a solution to both of you, which is don't watch television. <laughs> We do not have a TV. I do not see any of this stuff. And it is a delightful way to live your life. Yeah. You don't have a TV, but how do you do the live blogs then? Well, we have a TV. We do. We do. We own a TV, um, but it is not a But not a TV connection. Yeah, there's no TV <laughs> connection. And so we mm. do the live blogs with like, I, you know, we have a Chromecast. So I just Chromecast the NOS thing. But I mean, other than like Eurovision and the press conferences, I have not seen anything on TV in 
10 years and look how great I'm doing as a person. So I mean, I think it's <laughs> a good endorsement for this. This may be a lesson for us all. Yeah. This week on the podcast, we've got more coronavirus news, including the latest changes to social distancing rules and some plans by KLM that flew like a lead balloon and the final whistle for the football season. There are also updates on some of the issues we've all forgotten about because of corona, such as euthanasia and the deaths of 70 civilians in an airstrike in Iraq. The Netherlands will start reopening primary schools and daycare centers from May 11th, but organized events remain banned until September 1st, Prime Minister Mark Rutte told a news conference on Tuesday evening. Rutte told reporters relaxing the social distancing rules too quickly will lead to a second wave of infections which needs to be averted. The decision to reopen schools is based on a wide range of research which shows that young children are very unlikely to pass on the virus or develop serious symptoms themselves. The closure of the schools has had no impact on the spread, according to the Prime Minister, who also added that reopening schools would relieve parents from a lot of stress as a result of balancing homeschooling and working from home. Teachers will have the right to be tested for the virus if they have symptoms, just like healthcare workers uh, currently have. The one and a half meters rule will also have to be maintained in the schools, meaning that in most cases, uh, you know, one half of students will have to uh, to go to school uh, the one day, and uh, the other half will have to go to school the other day. Um, so, Gordon, uh, are you happy with this news? Well, yeah. I mean, actually, my two children are in secondary school um, now, so they won't be going back until uh, at least June the first. But uh, I think. Um, uh, well, I mean, from a personal point of view, yeah, not having the uh, having the kids at, uh, at home and having to homeschool is quite quite a challenge, uh, especially being on my own as a parent. So, and I think uh, uh, I'm kind of satisfied that uh, there is that the research has shown that there isn't a big risk of transmission from children, um, and that the schools are going to have. Also, I have to say, my my children because they're in uh, special education, they're in very small classes anyway. So it'll be quite easy, I think, to adapt the class to uh, make sure the kids keep all the right distance. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not alarmed by it. I thought that um, Yap Van Dissels, the head of the RIVM, had a pretty like impressively well presented sort of body of research as to what they have done to sort of conclude that there are not really uh, there's not really a lot of evidence that the children are getting the disease and spreading the disease i thought in particular the research that he showed about how schools and creches were not like hot spots which you know if you think that the kids are you know kids are kind of gross and they're like it's going to be difficult to keep small children away from each other that you would have seen sort of outbreaks in areas where groups of children are gathered together and apparently we just haven't seen this so i was i felt like that evidence was pretty convincing (laughs) Yeah, the only thing is, I remember when they, um, they when they shut the schools down to begin with, they said they wouldn't reopen them until they carried out research actually in the Netherlands about the um, the way that children spread the virus, and yeah. they wouldn't rely on data from other countries. And when they actually came to reopen them, they presented a load of data from other countries because they haven't actually managed to get enough families to take part in the Dutch research. Nevertheless, as you say, um, they, 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 they seem to have fairly um, well-grounded um, reasons to conclude that uh, children aren't at risk of spreading the virus. I think the main thing is they said, I think you have Dissel said that there would be 200 infections in children out of yeah. like 35,000 or something yeah. and there hasn't been any there hasn't been any case in which uh, any uh, any cluster of infections has been traced to a school or a nursery so and that includes of course from the time before lockdown started so yeah. in the time when the virus was running freely even then there's no re- there's no um, indication that children were spreading the virus 
Um, yeah, and even then I, I understood that there was no um, serious cases defining serious as sort of like requiring hospitalization for children under the age of 12 in the Netherlands. I think it's a, there's been a few cases in some other countries, but for the most part, it doesn't even seem like there's, you know, it seems like if kids get it, it, it can be like maybe a, a not nice flu, but otherwise is, is fine. Yeah, and even kids who would be, who, if they were adults, would be classed in high risk groups, like kids with respiratory illness, don't seem to be badly affected by this virus. Yeah. yeah. So I guess that's one sort of positive bit of Corona news that it's it's not going after the children. Yeah, it's just the oldies who, who, yeah. who, who suffer and die. Yeah. Uh, young children will also be allowed to resume taking part in team sports, but without formal matches, which pose a bigger risk of spreading the virus. Um, the under 18s may also take part in team sports training again, provided they keep the uh, one and a half meter rule. Uh, parents will not be allowed to watch at the sidelines and children need to shower at home afterwards. Officials will look at the options to make sure youngsters who are not members of a club can also join in organized sports if they want to. And the ban on events is being extended from June 1st to September 1st. So that means that all summer festivals and all summer events are currently cancelled. Yeah, so we know Pink Pop. But we were to actually uh, listed these things, didn't you? So he listed no Pink three. Pop. Yeah. Pink well, Pop, Swords no Across, and the uh, Nijmegen Walk thing. What is oh, that the called? Four day, the four-day walk, the fear yeah. dancer. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. yeah. So those are the off. three quintessential Dutch gatherings yeah. over the those summer. Are those, those are the things that define the summer in, in yes. the Netherlands. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, well, I have no care whatsoever for all of these events, <laughs> so I don't really mind. Um, but yeah, he also mentioned that, uh, you know, going on holiday might also be in jeopardy. Uh, and uh, when asked if people uh, should should um, should book some some vacations, he said, well, I personally cancelled all mine, uh, but it's still unclear if, if we can uh, we can go on holiday or not. Yeah. Do we know where Mark Rutter goes on holiday? Um, he has... Sometimes he... So he has a group of friends, of which Jort Kelder is one of them. Jort Kelder is one uh, one of these talk show people who always yeah. uh, uh, keep popping up with uh, ridiculous opinions. And they often uh, go on skiing holiday, but in the summer, I think they they hire a boat somewhere and, and in in Italy, for example, or right. something like that. Um, I'm not not entirely sure where he goes, but he said he had he had planned a number of vacations. So yeah, uh, he, he he had a lot of plans this summer. Right. Okay. Um, and also, uh, visits to nursing homes remain banned because the elderly are still the most vulnerable people in society. Experts have been asked to look into the options um, uh, for relaxing this rule. And in addition, more research is also being carried out in the use of face masks and gloves in professions which involve f- physical contact. But in the meantime, hairdressers, manicurists, and physiotherapists cannot do their jobs. Yeah. So, Molly. Um, is that why you have no video on today, Paul? Because the, hair- <laughs> the hairdressers are still not working? <laughs> well, uh, actually, uh, my webcam is not recognized by the Skype app, but uh, I'm I'm still going go- going good here, so uh, I I, d- I don't need the hairdresser. I also can I always can can go back to the Grapperhaus um, uh, coop. As, yes, uh, that's true. Yes, indeed. So um, just just shave it all off. Yeah, just shave it all off. Yeah, I think the Bond villain look. I think is going to be the, <laughs> the style of 2020. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, I, th- I also think that the, um, uh, the uh, a lot of uh, white uh, fluffy cats will be bought in the near future. <laughs> yeah. enormous black chairs. Is there any news on the Corona apps, uh, which there was such a big fuss about last week? Uh, yes, it turned out to be a disaster. <laughs> yes. um, around 750 companies, which is 
an enormous amount, I have to say. They responded to the government's request to develop a track and trace app. The idea is that the app tracks with uh, whom someone comes in contact with and gives an alert if uh, one of these contacts later turns out to be a COVID-19 patient. Mm. The ministry compiled a short list of seven app developers. Uh, they gave their pitch to a panel in an online presentation, which was also open to the public. So uh, uh, props to the ministry for uh, being so transparent in all this. Yeah. But, you know, uh, because it was all very transparent, uh, all of a sudden we had seven and a half million um, app experts uh, and privacy experts in the Netherlands. You know what's crazy, uh, Paul? There seemed to be a lot of overlap between people who the week before were statistics and virology <laughs> experts, and this week were app and privacy experts. Yeah. Yes, it's um, it's it's It's, it's these incredible uh, poly- polymaths <laughs> that live I'm, in this country and are on Twitter. I, I'm just here trying to listen to understand Stephen Hawking, but all these other people are out there getting four diff- PhDs in various different subjects. <laughs> Yeah, indeed. However, there were some experts listening to the uh, to the uh, presentations as well, who who could give a uh, substantiated uh, opinion on on what was stalled. Uh, there was even one app who, uh, while they were giving their presentation, was uh, uh, someone noticed that uh, someone noticed a, a huge data breach in in mm. their in their app. In yeah, their they basically leaked a mailing list, hadn't they? In in, in their source code. Yeah. Yes, yeah. while they were giving this presentation, <laughs> so that was very embarrassing. Yeah, so it turned out to be a disaster. All seven of these uh, apps did not meet the criteria uh, which the uh, government had set. Yeah, so uh, Hugo de Jonge, the health minister, told MPs that uh, uh, they're just going to do it themselves. They're going to commission an app developer to uh, to to develop a, a good app uh, because uh, the approach uh, until now did not uh, turn out to be very successful. Yeah, so basically it completely failed. It was a total flop. And they've had to go back to drawing board and start again. Has anyone addressed to the Veve Day how they feel about the private market being a complete and utter failure and the government <laughs> having to step in and produce a socialism app for this uh, for this situation? This has been a running theme in coronavirus, hasn't it? Basically, the government has just had to take over everything and it's, pay everybody's wages. And, it's interesting you know. how that works, yes. Yeah. I also love the libertarians on Twitter who uh, who call themselves libertarians but but demand that the government uh, buys a lot of uh, medical equipment and hand it out to the people yeah. and tell people what to do. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's strange times. There are We live in strange times. There's yeah, no, everything's everything's upside down. It's like we, we step through the mirror, isn't it? I have to say as well, I was uh, listening quite attentively to this press conference, so really hoping to hear about um, apps and Grutter didn't mention them at all in his speech. And I thought maybe the first question will be about apps. But the first question wasn't about apps. The first question was something completely different, wasn't it, Paul? <sighs> <laughs> this journalist uh, who was from the NOS from asked, he said um, uh, to the Prime Minister, in a very aggressive way, by the way, he said, you've been telling the, the Dutch public that they're doing very well in this lockdown. And what do they get back? Another three-week extension of the intelligent lockdown. Yeah. How... How the fuck do you? <laughs> he did not say how the fuck. He no, no, no. But it, but that's what he meant. That's yes, what he that meant. is that's a hundred percent what he was yeah, thinking. Yeah, 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 so, so, yeah. He said, "How can you explain that?" Basically. Yes, and, and, and I was like, like, like this rewatched kind of the entire press conference yeah. because he's been he just spent fifteen minutes explaining yeah. why this is necessary. It's treating like it's treating like some, some kind of school detention, basically. And it's, it's not a virus; it's like a punishment for you know um, staying out too late in the evening or something. Not yeah. only did this guy, not only did Rutter give this like 
pretty, what I thought was a pretty good, like, 15-minute summation uh, in his opening talk at the press conference. We then went to, like, yap Mr. PhD Von Dissel, who then went through, like, this extensive discussion about all of the research, which I understand was focusing on children, but it was like, were you not paying attention to all of the things that these people were saying? Like, I, I was very confused. Yeah, and then a lot of his NOS uh, co-workers, they, they were trying to defend this person on Twitter. And they said, yeah, don't you know, how, I don't understand why journalists uh, uh, d- don't, don't see. Sometimes you just ask a question in order to get a sort of um, a quote or a, uh, you know, a nice little quote. But, uh, I mean, this guy was on live television. Yeah. He yeah. was specifically, um, you know, get, uh, he was the first person to give a question because they were doing a live broadcast yeah. at that moment and then you ask something like this yeah, uh, I mean, I, yeah there, there are two things with that basically firstly written speech is absolutely packed full of snap quotes and if you couldn't if you couldn't oh, read yeah. those out then you should have a different job and secondly you can get the same effect by asking actual well-informed intelligent question and there were plenty of those available too so yeah you know although yeah. th- this guy really sort of underestimated i don't know why you would do this because Ritter is quite fast on his feet and good with like good snappy comebacks so why you would open yourself up for this because of course he asked like what is your explanation for this I think and then Ruta was like it's a virus (laughs) (laughs) which was a money quote (laughs) yeah it's the virus stupid yeah Yeah. Yeah. it's Um, the virus stupid so I hope he went home and felt dumb yeah, like, and also, I also like the fact that Irma, the um, the the, the deaf and dumb interpreter, had yeah. this kind of gesture, which was basically like a sh- like a like an open handed shrug. Right. Like, yeah. What did you just ask? <laughs> <laughs> I um, you know, as a person, like I've been at many press conferences. I've been at like these press conferences. I just don't understand. You know that you're on television. I mean, it's not your face because they're filming from behind. You know that people are going to hear this. And every time I go to a press conference with Rita and I ask a question, I spend a lot of time thinking about this question because I know if he gives a good answer, there's a hundred percent chance that this interaction is going to be on the eight o'clock NOS journal. And I don't want to look like a moron. So this guy needs to think about that. Yeah. And these press conferences have huge audiences, like eight million tuned into this yeah. it's like a, like, yeah. a, like the semi-final of a world cup or something and this yeah. this guy you're sitting there you're thinking this is your, you've got the first question at this press conference where millions are watching this is your real chance to shine and you come up with that as a question it's yeah. Like, yeah, no, and it's it just and it's not even life. that 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 there were i mean every comment that i read about these this uh these questions were negative were, oh yeah were bad so Apparently, everybody in the country thinks you you ask a stupid question. Then <laughs> just acknowledge that you ask a stupid question and and, and 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 do a better job next time. But I think this guy was just is frustrated at having to be in lockdown. He, he sounded, was frustrated. He sounded <laughs> the tone of his voice sounded very like you know enraged or like angry like i think you said like an a, an irritated schoolboy earlier gordon he and wasn't it, in lockdown when he was sitting at the press conference yeah exactly he was outside unlike a lot of other people right so and so he, i just feel like he feels like a petulant child who doesn't want to do this anymore and doesn't understand why he can't not go back outside or can't not live his life as he was normally and i really don't understand this attitude because although the government has some control over this in terms of like the measures that they put in place the reality is is like this is a global pandemic like mm. this is not a thing that you could just be like you know go sit in the corner we're going to build a wall like it doesn't matter this is not how viruses work and why people are getting 
so irritated at the idea that this is something that can be controlled, I just simply don't understand. Yeah, I guess, I mean, there was a, there was a valid sentiment behind the question, because, you know, people are frustrated, they're in lockdown, they're going to be locked down for another three weeks and probably longer, but there were so many better ways you could have phrased it. Like, yeah, you know, for sure. Can you, like, can yeah. you sympathize with the people who are disappointed that we, ha- we haven't got a more extensive opening up, you know, something like that? Yeah. Something like but, that, yeah. yeah. Uh, journalism 101. Journalism 101. Moving on. Don't ask dumb questions at <laughs> televised press conferences. They're watched by 8 million people. The number of people in intensive care with COVID-19 has fallen to just over a 1,000, according to Stichting NICE, the Organisation for Intensive Care Units. That's from a peak of 1,400 at the beginning of April. Part of the reason for that is that fewer elderly patients are being referred for intensive care. Trau calculated last week that one in four intensive care patients is over the age of 70, whereas a month ago that figure was one in three. Only a handful of people over 80 are being treated in intensive care now. Marcel Olderrichert, Professor of Geriatric Care at Radboud UMC in Nijmegen, said vulnerable and elderly patients were being given oxygen treatment at home where appropriate. He said, quote, Intensive care puts elderly people under huge strain and that reduces their chances of surviving. Stichting NICE has said that despite the reduction in intensive care occupancy, the number of beds still needs to be increased to 2,500 to deal with a potential second wave of infection. So, Gordon, what are the latest figures that will be immediately out of date the second they come out of your mouth? Yeah, indeed. Uh, The latest (laughs) figures from Thursday uh, are that 4,177 people have now died in hospital of COVID-19. The total figure is possibly twice as high. The RFEM say one-third of nursing homes have corona patients now. Another 123 deaths were announced on Thursday. That's also the average number for the past seven days. Altogether, there have now been 35,729 positive tests for the disease since the end of February. The number of tests is going up. The laboratories are now doing about 40,000 tests a week, but that's still only around one-third of the promised level of 17,000 a day. But in the last three days, only around 13% of tests have been positive, compared to 30% at the end of March. So that's why we're not seeing positive test numbers going up. And the statistics agency CBS has calculated that just over 10,000 people died in the first two weeks of April, compared to less than 6,000 in each of the previous three years. So quite a spike. Hmm. And do we have any idea what impact coronavirus is having on other treatments? Yeah, this issue has been raised by hospital managers who say that regular treatment really needs to get back on track urgently now that the pressure from coronavirus patients is easing. And that's not just a healthcare issue, it's also a financial issue, because hospitals can't bill for operations they haven't performed. So the insurers have had to start issuing advance payments to cover staff wages. The Federation of Cancer Patients Organisations says one in three patients has been affected by the coronavirus outbreak, one in five have had their treatment postponed before it started, and one in eight who are already undergoing treatment have had it uh, suspended. And obviously that is a situation that you cannot afford to delay for very long. No, and it's one of the reasons why the lockdown restrictions uh, can still not be lifted, because if we see another spike in the coronavirus uh, infections and also on the intensive care That means that these patients who would normally be on the intensive care still don't have any room there. So it's really hard, I think, for hospitals to sort of balance this uh, because, of course, the coronavirus patients, they need urgent care. But, you know, there are still a lot of other people who need urgently need care. Yeah, I think having to shelve all kinds of other treatment. If you keep doing that for too long, that's going to start having uh, very uh, negative effects. Uh, and of course, they've said that even if this kind of um, positive trend that we've had for the last week or so continues, they are still going to be working around the clock because they have this backlog now of uh, treatment they should have carried out uh, for things like cancer. Yeah, and we also know from some personal experience that uh, 
people are fearful about having to go to the hospital if you're already a person who's immunocompromised because you're worried about getting corona. So also, they're going to have to figure out a longer term strategy as to how they're going to deal with this. Because, you know, normally you could just put everybody together in one sort of place, right? It doesn't really matter like that much. But now we know that like this is so contagious that that's not an option. So yeah, I think it's a tough, tough decisions that hospitals are going to have to make. Yeah, that is tough. And of course, even if you separate the patients, um, there is still the risk of the staff. Yeah the virus from patients to patients in different rooms. And in extremely terrifying reports, there was a study in the US that has been done that seems pretty reputable, whereby if a person with corona was sitting near an air conditioning duct and the, you know, sneezed or something and the germ particles got into the air conditioning duct, that people who are sitting near other exhaust ducts where their air was being circulated through had an increased likelihood of contracting the disease or coming in contact with it. So, you know, in a hospital setting where you have like a whole air filtration system that distributes throughout the whole hospital. You can even be worried about things like that. So that's terrifying. I mean, I guess I'm glad to live here where there's like no air conditioning, or at least I'm saying that now. We'll see how I feel about it in August. (laughs) So guys, we've got a mixed bag of business news this week. Where do you want to start with? The good news, the bad news, or the infuriating news? Mm, The infuriating news. No, we're going to start with the good news. Oh, okay. The good news is (laughs) coronavirus does not seem to be affecting house prices. Slightly fewer homes have changed hands over the past few weeks, but prices are broadly similar to the previous month. That's according to new figures from the Real Estate Agents Association, NBM. The figures back up earlier claims that the coronavirus crisis has yet to impact the housing market and that people who plan to buy a house are pressing ahead. NVM chairman Ono Hoos criticized the, quote, prophets of doom who suggested that the market would be in for a major shock because of the coronavirus. So if you're trying to sell your house or if you're trying to buy a house, the market apparently is still just going on. Apparently there's been a lot of uh, remortgaging going on as well. People are expecting interest rates to go up, so they've been going in and uh, trying to fix their mortgage. Yeah, at a lower rate. The wife of a friend of ours is a real estate agent, and actually she was saying the other day that it actually hasn't been that difficult for her to do this because you just you know, most of the time these houses are empty or the families just go out to the park or whatever. You know, you take a walk around the block so they're not in the house and then she just comes in with her clients, but you can stay a meter and a half away from each other. It's not that challenging, actually. Unless you're showing people around a flat in Amsterdam, which has got like sort of 10 square meters of space. Right. Then, but you're, then, then you're in trouble. <laughs> well, so I asked about this because I sort of made this joke and she was like, yeah, but then you just like sort of stand outside. I mean, you can be on the phone and sort of like talk people through this stuff. It hadn't occurred to me that that would be like a thing that was kind of easy to do. Adopting to the one and a half meter society. Yes, the real estate agents seem to have figured it out. Can we get the hairdressers? To, to <laughs> <laughs> this is a real bone of contention for you, isn't it, Molly? I really need a haircut, guys. My bangs are like, it's like tickling my nose. It's not okay. I know somewhere in this house is a pair of clippers because uh, Machtel used to cut the kids' hair when they were younger and they wouldn't tolerate the regular hairdresser. So we've got a set of clippers somewhere. I just need to find the drawer they're in. So I'm getting to the stage now where I might just uh, do the full Bond villain look. Um, just to see what it's like. (laughs) There was an article in, I don't know, somewhere about how there's been a lot of Instagram photos who have been, which have been taken sort of with like (laughs) the shot ending kind of right at the forehead because, you know, a lot of women who get their hair colored regularly, like are having like a lot of root situations and that kinds of stuff. So, yeah. Somebody posted a thing on Facebook saying uh, there seems to be a second virus going around where lots of blonde women are turning into brunettes. 
Yeah, funny <laughs> Perhaps it's a strategy to ban our hairdressers, to close them, to shut them down. Because now people don't want to go outside, so now they are forced to oh, stay inside. Oh, that is yeah. a good point, yeah. Maybe it's just government strategy. Yeah, just trying to shame people into staying inside. Yeah. And those people who do go outside are on television a lot, uh, like Kuhu de Jonga. Luckily, seem to have a partner who's been able to learn hairdressing in, in three days. What I find extremely suspicious about Hugo de Jonga's hair situation is the first time he appeared in public after the home haircut, his hair was a train wreck. And then the second time he appeared in public, his hair looked like normal. And I find it extremely hard to believe that his wife has gone to advanced hairdressing school in the two days in between those two haircuts. Hmm. Yeah. There is a conspiracy going on here. I think we are onto something. I think so too. I'm sure Maurice de Hond can tie this to 5G. Probably. I think we need to put in a freedom of information request uh, for the bonnetier for Mrs. <laughs> de Jonga's hairdressing classes. Yeah, I want to surely have claimed it on expenses. <laughs> so the bad news, guys, is that consumer confidence is way, way down. The Dutch Consumer Confidence Index plunged 20 points in March. That's the biggest monthly drop ever reached, according to National Statistics Agency, CBS. Consumers' willingness to spend money has dropped 19 points as people worry about the impact of the coronavirus on their own finances. Some 85% of people expect unemployment will rise over the next 12 months. So that's no good. No, that's uh, very bad. Yeah. I mean, I, I empathize with this. But understandable, but it's yeah. it's really bad. It's bad. And uh, finally, the infuriation news. Are we ready for this, guys? Yeah. Yes. On Wednesday, it emerged that KLM wants to change the way Chief Executive Ben Smith's bonus is calculated, and that one of the criteria would be how much state support he manages to attract during the coronavirus crisis. <laughs> so as a reward for managing to siphon off lots of government money, he gets to siphon off even more government money. Yes. The new evaluation procedure would look at, quote, the effective financial situation. Sorry, the the shamefulness of of all this is just hilarious. Paul, it's going to get worse. Hang on a second. Oh, really? Yes. The new evaluation procedure would look at, quote, the effective financial situation at the end of the financial year and the efficacy of the action plans deployed to preserve the Air France KLM group's cash. So hang on a second. There are two KLM bonus stories. Yes, because apparently (laughs) KLM did not learn from the OPEF on Saturday when it was forced (laughs) to draw plans to increase the bonus of Chief Executive Peter Elbers to 100% of his salary. That was following widespread opposition. KLM had said that no bonuses will be paid this year and there will be no profit sharing or dividend until the crisis is over. The plan to increase Elbers' bonus was in place before anybody heard of Corona, but it is still not a great look for a company which is looking for a government bailout. Sandwich laid off like 2,000 staff at yes. the, right at the start of the crisis as well. Yes. Yeah, as well. Uh, the shamefulness of all this, I, I, I'm admiring it, I think. Uh, it's uh, I mean, you're it's, a Veve Day supporter, so we're not surprised, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> in a perverse way, you kind of have to, don't you? Just the sheer chutzpah yeah. of suggesting that you should be paid more for basically managing to pillage the government coffers. Yeah, there was similar op-ed about Booking.com, right? A couple of weeks ago, I think we discussed it on the podcast, which avoided uh, paying taxes for hundreds and hundreds of millions of euros in the past couple of years and now all of a sudden needs this enormous bill out and it's a little bit ironic right on the one hand they're not very willing to pay taxes and to contribute to the national funds and then all of a sudden they are knocking on the doors of the government to uh, to to help them so these are strange times what is sort of interesting about this not interesting what is 
shameful and irritating is that part of the reason that these bonuses are so large is because bonuses are taxed at a different rate than salary is. And so a lot of times what executives get is, you know, a baseline salary that's like kind of high, but not what it would be. And then like this huge bonus offer. And they do this so that they can avoid paying taxes on stuff or they pay like a lower tax rate. And so now what you see in times of crisis is that executives get really annoyed because what they are viewing as their entire salary package has been cut in half or whatever. And the reason that it's been cut in half is because they're not just getting paid this as a wage. So they're using this as a tax dodging strategy. And then they get mad when the government bails them out and they can't have their giant bonus. Yeah. yeah. I wonder how much uh, vacantiegeld this guy gets. Oh, don't bring up the vacantiegeld, Paul. <laughs> Isn't that also taxed in a different way than uh, yeah, the normal it's, it's salary? Yeah, it's also taxed in a different way. Yeah, so um, we all get a little bonus. But Finance Minister Wopke Hoekstra has said that the government will not support any bonuses for CEOs whose companies are getting taxpayer money to support them through the crisis. So even if he wanted to go to Italy, where they do not want to see him at all, he would not be able to fly there because KLM <laughs> doesn't like him either. And Alitalia will also not fly him. No. Yeah, but it's uh, common sense, right? If you're company gets a government bill out, then your bonuses, we will not pay them anymore. So I mean, I think they need to, at the end of this, they should have done this after the financial crisis. You just had to pass some kind of like very strict regulation that says, look, like if a company has to go to the government for some sort of bailout, these are the terms and conditions under which you can do dividends and management pay and all those kinds of stuff. And it needs to be not so harsh that companies aren't willing to ask for the bailout, but like harsh enough that it's a deterrent from like wanting to have this bailout in the first place. Yeah, it's basically they're asking to have their cake and eat it, basically, aren't they? Has Hookstra suggested that um, Brussels should investigate the situation of uh, COOs claiming bonuses you know, when the, their company's being bailed out, you know? To, to, it's to... crazy, but there was not a suggestion that maybe we need some kind of investigation as to why KLM does not have sufficient cash reserves to get them through this crisis. It's weird, though. I can't imagine what the difference is between KLM and the country of Italy. All festivities around the Dutch national holiday King's Day on April 27th are cancelled due to the coronavirus. So this year the King stays at home and will not visit some small provincial town which nobody ever heard of. Uh, and all music, music festivals are cancelled as well. And the canals of Amsterdam will not turn orange with people celebrating the King's birthday. Uh, not that they uh, uh, would become uh, orange this year because I think uh, the municipality of Amsterdam banned every festivities in the city centre of Amsterdam. Uh, but anyway uh, that doesn't mean you can celebrate king's day because a number of online festivities were announced in the past week for example koningsdagthuis.nl was launched on thursday which sort of functions as a national town square people can upload uh, videos of how they celebrate koningsdag which is now dubbed as woningsdag uh, yeah king's dubbed day by whom paul <laughs> Not by me, by uh, by this uh, organization, this uh, this website. They've called yeah. it that way. Um, I, uh, we were uh, talking about it on the Dutch news uh, group chat on how we would translate this wordplay into English because woning means uh, home and koning yeah. is king. Uh, I think we came up with uh, several uh, options, but I think we're gonna stay with uh, stay in stay. Right? Stay in day. Stay, stay in day. day. Yeah. Stay. Uh, stay home day. Stay home day. And um, so on this website, uh, stuff that you would normally uh, do on King's Day, for example, play music in the park or play games, uh, do a performance. You can now simply uh, uh, video yourself and upload it on the website, and you can still keep celebrating King's Day, but this time digitally. And also Marktplatz, uh, because uh, 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 when if you have ever celebrated uh, King's Day in the Netherlands, you know that um, a lot of people will just sell all 
all that junk on yeah. the streets. It, it, um, it's basically just a, uh, an excuse to, uh, to, 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 to try and uh, um, sell the contents of your attic off to unsuspecting strangers. Um, and tax-free because tax you don't have to pay taxes thing. on King's yeah. Day. That's yeah. the most important. Uh, yeah. I mean, we live in a country where we, on the national holiday, uh, the one thing we do yeah. is do avoid not pay taxes. taxes. Avoid yeah. taxes. So yeah. that says a lot about this country. Uh, I have to admit. Uh, but yeah, you can now go to um, uh, vrijmarktplaats.nl. Uh, yeah. It's a special website uh, um, developed by marktplaats.nl, sort of the Dutch eBay. Uh, so you can now uh, sell all your junk there if you want to so yeah. um it's really important because you know one thing people have been doing in lockdown is clearing out their attics so it's probably going to be the best ever it was potentially going to be the best ever uh, or the worst <laughs> or the worst oh yeah but we have, it could go either way i have to say it could so. it could go either way and also i was um uh, i think the city of amsterdam a lot of uh, uh, listeners of us live there of course they, they uh, organized a lot of uh, stuff as well the list was too long to cover it all on this item but uh, yeah if you google it or uh, go on the internet then you will see a lot of um, uh, events such as uh, a, a silent disco or virtual reality disco uh, uh, and and uh, some sort of virtual uh, music festival on Dam Square. So there, there are a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot of stuff being organized um, uh, for April 27th. Paul, I have one extremely important Konings Day related question. Okay, go ahead. Are you going to bring me orange tampus? Oh, yeah, that's the sort of uh, the, the tradition it's that tradition. we have, Yes. Right? Yes, this I, is the tradition. Uh, I'm not sure if the bakery is open. I don't know either. Uh, I will uh, in- do an inquiry, and Please if so, then out. I will uh, then I will deliver you some uh, orange tompuse. Uh, I need. I, I'm not sure I can make it through coronavirus lockdown <laughs> if I do not have orange tompuse. <laughs> delivered to my door as yep. per tradition <laughs> yeah that's very understandable no i will uh, i will uh, i will do an inquiry but only for only the good orion yeah only the, the good stuff i don't want i don't want any of the knockoff stuff Hema. no yeah. no hema stuff i want the good stuff no yeah. we buy i always buy it in in this little bakery in delft and in this building um it, it used to be a hostel in the um in the uh golden age or uh, before that actually and uh it was here where the uh, murderer of uh, william the silent uh, stayed before he shot oh, yeah. uh, be- before he shot him so that's a little um it's connected to the House of Orange, of course, in a uh, very, uh, very uh, nice I way. I noticed once again you are associating with people who want to uh, do away with the royal family. This is a running. It's a theme. running. It's a running theme here, Paul. <laughs> it's a. Uh, it's the Orange line through this podcast. Yeah, indeed. Actually, my favourite part of Koningsdag is actually uh, when the uh, when the street cleaners go out at one in the morning, and um, <laughs> and within about half an hour, uh, everything is completely spick and span, and you, you can't, you, you wouldn't be able to know that people have been they've been partying for six hours straight beforehand. So I wonder how I wonder, I wonder if they're if they're going to somehow recreate that in people's living rooms. <laughs> the fun part about this is that the street cleaners are also wearing some orange clothes. Yeah. Yes. Very so, so, so they should have people in orange coming into your living room at one in the morning <laughs> and clearing away all your empty bottles. Otherwise, it's not cold and stuff. I am, um, I am sad uh, about the lack of of King's Day. I really like going out and like shopping at all my neighbors, like you know, little Rommel Market kind of thing, and like sort of seeing everybody in the city center. So, I think this is the first moment that I felt pretty upset. I think about the Corona lockdown. Up until now, it's been annoying, but not too bad. But I'm, I am sad. Uh, well, in this particular case, I don't care at all because I never celebrate King's Day anyway. So I really don't mind. I'm usually at work because it, I yeah. get paid double. But um, yeah, I don't. Uh, I, I, I have no strong feelings about King's Day. 
So you won't, you won't be invited on the talk shows then? No, you're not going to be invited on the talk shows. <laughs> no. <laughs> I have no strong opinions, so no no talk show invitation from me. No, no, there's no strong, badly informed opinions. If you value the Dutch News podcast and our unflinching efforts to untangle both the coronavirus statistics and Hugo de Jong's suspiciously accomplished haircut, why not sponsor us on Patreon? Bringing this podcast to you every week from our blanket fortresses takes time, effort, and an awful lot of coffee, so all donations are very gratefully received. We'll reward all our new patrons with a shout-out on air and let you ask us a random question. This week we say hello and thank you to Andrew, who doesn't have a question for us, uh, or didn't even supply a last name, but thank you nevertheless very much for your generous support. If you'd like to join our select band of loyal patrons, log on to patreon.com slash dutchnewsml. Yes, and please ask a question, because I'm really... um, All these questions are usually very fun. So uh, if you have supported us in the past and you still have a question, uh, then just send it to us and we will answer it anyway. We could use a corona distraction. The ban on public events until September the 1st has put pay to any hopes of completing the football season. The Canvey Bay will notify UEFA of its intention to abandon the Eredivisie and Jupiler League and consult with clubs on the next steps. European football's governing body had previously taken a hard line on national associations who wanted to stop the football season and was warned that they could be excluded from next year's Champions League. But in recent days it reeled back and said it would take account of circumstances that made playing out the season unfeasible. The Canfé Bay is expected to award places for next year's European competitions based on current league standings, and that means Ajax will go straight into the Champions League group stages, as at Alkmaar will play in the qualifying rounds, and Feyenoord, PSV and Willem II Tilburg get the Europa League spots. It's also likely there'll be no relegation this season, and the Eredivisie will be expanded to 20 clubs. But the ban until September the 1st also has implications for the start of next season, because usually the first league matches are played in the last weekend of July, and of course the qualifying rounds of uh, the European competitions are also in August. So, yeah, but what that means for the home matches, uh, we have yet to find out. I literally care about none of this. What's the dick lawyer news, Gordon? <laughs> there is dick lawyer news, yes. In the latest indication that things are slowly creeping back to normal, we do indeed have news of the latest exploits of Dick Advocate. Thank God. Finally. Thank God. What a relief. Indeed. The most frequently postponed retirement in football has been put back another year, because Advocat has signed an extension to his contract at Feyenoord until the end of next June, by which time he'll be nearly 74. We get another year of Dick Advocat? Yes. Corona is the best thing that's ever happened. Four more years. <laughs> Four more years. Now, this is this just, this just isn't the, 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 the least surprising news that I've ever heard. I kind of see this coming. Advocat said he had a good thing going at the club and wanted to finish the job. He's taken the team from 12th place to 3rd in the Eredivisie and reached the cup final, although it's doubtful if the match will ever actually get played. Technical coach Frank Arneson said it's not clear when we'll be able to play football again, but when that moment comes, we need to be ready as a club, and for me that starts with securing a very good coach. As we said before on this podcast, and we'll say again, you just can't keep a good dick down. (laughs) That's my favourite tagline. It's almost the beginning of May, so traditionally that means another German invasion. The yellow dust, which uh, some car owners have spotted on their vehicles in recent days, is not Saharan sand, as many expected, but pollen from Germany. And that means uh, these are difficult days for hay fever sufferers, according to Bauerator meteorologist Mark de Jong. The sun and warm weather means the pollen have been hanging in the air for longer than usual, and the easterly wind has further compounded the problem by bringing in pollen from Germany, he said. Much of the yellow dust comes 
animals from birds and older trees but grasses are now coming into flower and this will make the problem worse for hay fever sufferers in the coming days according to pollen monitoring website and i did not know we had this website but we do hoikortsradar.nl if you live in this country then you know that bioradar is something it's an essential part of dutch life it's a it's a religion it's a religion uh you will always be checking bioradar uh, uh, to see if it's raining i have to say the couple of past week you didn't have to uh, to look at it mostly because we were in lockdown or uh, there was simply no rain whatsoever uh, but apparently we also have a radar for hay fever and that's hoikortsradar.nl I didn't know we had it, but apparently we do. Uh, This weekend, the wind will turn northerly and that will reduce the problem somewhat. Rain would be the best solution, but there is none on the radar radar until well into may weather forecasters uh, have uh, have told us last month researchers at Leiden university hospital warned that hay fever symptoms could be mistaken for coronavirus so uh, be aware of that covid19 symptoms include a runny nose coughing a sore throat and a temperature while hay fever patients suffer from a tickly cough runny nose streaming eyes and uh, fits of sneezing so uh, the the symptoms are similar but there are some uh, some differences as well so if this uh, pollen all coming from Germany are they warning about a Pullens discussion or <laughs> we, we should <laughs> we should we should ask uh, Angela Merkel what she's thinking about the uh, Pollen invasion that would be a good question to ask at a press conference Military commanders were aware that there was a high risk of civilian casualties when Dutch bombers targeted a munitions factory in the Iraqi town of Hawija in 2015. The CIA also warned that the operation was high risk because of the number of civilians living in the area, according to documents released under the US Freedom of Information Act. The Dutch government has always maintained the correct procedures were followed during the bombing in June 2015. Around 70 civilians died when an airstrike on a car bomb factory set off a chain of explosions. The government only admitted in November last year that one of its F-16s had dropped the bomb that struck the factory, and that was only following investigations by NOS and NSA in Iraq. Defence Minister Anke Beilefeld said the potential for a large explosion had been underestimated and blamed lack of information in advance of the attack. So Gordon, what does this document say? It's a report by General Sean McFarland, who was the commander of the coalition against IS at the time, and he wrote it in August 2015, and he said that the procedures in force at the time had been correctly followed, but there were deficiencies that needed to be addressed. And then in September, the procedures were changed, and one of the main things they did was they required more detailed investigations into targets in densely populated areas, and also analysis of the risk of secondary explosions, because basically, remember, this was a target in a densely populated area that set off a chain of secondary explosions. Uh, so the whole purpose of this, these changes was basically to avoid a repeat of what happened in Hawija. The report does also echo Dutch documents that were released in February, and they warned before the bombing that the, that the number of casualties could be higher than the collateral damage estimate. So in usual times, I think this would be an enormous political scandal. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. And it, anyway, it was kind of uh, building up as quite a big political scandal before the whole coronavirus uh, um, situation took over. Yeah, indeed. So what does this mean for uh, Defence Minister Anke Beilefeld? Yeah, it probably means that there are going to be some, some very uh, hard questions asked of her again um, when they get to debate it in Parliament. Of course, the question is when that will happen. Now, several opposition parties have requested a debate. At the moment, of course, MPs are only meeting to debate the coronavirus situation. But um, this is likely to be the first serious issue they tackle once regular sittings resume 
and that could be as soon as after the May recess. And Bielefeld's likely to come under fire for not disclosing information to Parliament. And of course, misleading Parliament is basically a resignation offence. It's a capital offence. Yeah, basically. She's argued that the information was classified by the Americans, so she couldn't make it public. But there will be, obviously, serious questions to ask about how a complex containing 18,000 kilos of explosive material that was located just 200 metres away from people's homes was assessed as low risk. Yeah, and um, uh, as you say, the Tweede Kamer is looking into ways to resume uh, normal debates as well. Um, uh, they they uh, uh, prepared uh, c- committee rooms uh, for the one and a half meter uh, uh, society and the distance rules. So I think indeed if there if if the Tweede Kamer will resume their their normal procedures or you know normal um, in terms of Corona, um, then uh, this will be definitely the first thing that will be on the agenda and uh, rightly so. Yeah, and of course it's also always a very sensitive issue for Dutch governments um, civilian casualties in the wake of what happened at Srebrenica. That they've been very careful to try and avoid civilians dying um, in uh, military operations. I, mean, I, f- I feel like it's a good goal to avoid civilians dying in military operations. Seems like a solid plan. The Dutch Supreme Court this week upheld a lower court decision in which a doctor who performed euthanasia on a patient with severe dementia was found to not have broken any laws. The Supreme Court also tore up the written reprimand, not literally, that the doctor had been given by the medical sector's disciplinary board. The case centered on a 74-year-old woman who had drawn up a living will, indicated that she wanting euthanasia if she became severely demented, but following her admittance to a nursing home, she gave conflicting statements as to whether or not she wanted the procedure. According to a mandatory review that takes place after every case of euthanasia, the patient's indecisiveness meant that she couldn't give consent to the procedure. The prosecutor in the case did not believe that the doctor acted maliciously, but still felt the decision to perform euthanasia was incorrect. It was the first case to be brought against a doctor since the passage of the Termination of Life on Demand Review Act, which legalized euthanasia in the Netherlands in 2002. The case has had a chilling effect on euthanasia in the Netherlands, with an increasing number of doctors refusing to perform the procedure. So the prosecution appealed the initial ruling? No, the public prosecutor did not appeal. Uh, the Hague District Court's verdict, but the Attorney General brought the case before the Supreme Court um, in order to have the highest court in the country rule on the matter. The Supreme Court ruling now establishes in law that a doctor may honor a written request for euthanasia if the patient is no longer capable of giving their consent because of advanced dementia. The ruling also sets out how all the requirements can be met in this specific situation. So basically, they the government just wanted the highest court to sort of lay this out in black and white, so there was no kind of yeah, discussion about it. Something that they should have uh, thought about when they written the law, though. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of these cases, it's really hard to sort of be kind of specific about. I mean, it's, you know, there's so few cases of euthanasia, despite what Fox News will tell you about the Netherlands. And so I think it's hard to kind of think forward to these situations that if you say, I want euthanasia, if I become so severely um, demented that I can't sort of express myself clearly. And then when you get to that point, you can't express yourself clearly about whether or not you want it. I mean, I think it is a concern, I guess, that you don't want to be giving euthanasia to people who don't actually want it. But it's sort of an impossible choice. In this case, the woman's family was consulted. They had brought in other doctors. I mean, it seemed like the doctor in question had really done like as much as you possibly could to sort of, you know, make sure that this person wanted to have euthanasia if they were in this situation. I guess it's um, an important ruling because uh, the way the law is framed is that um, it's an exemption basically from being charged with murder. So if you don't meet the criteria, potentially you are opening yourself up to a murder charge. That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. 
We'll include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. And please do come up with a, a, a off the wall or just an interesting question to ask us. Or not an interesting question. We're also interested in that. As long as it's not Corona related, it's fine. You can't do any worse than the NOS report. <laughs> report press that is true. You could try though. I would be interested to see people <laughs> attempt that. <laughs> yeah, that, that could be a challenge. My thanks to Molly Quell and Bell Peters. I'm Gordon Derrick and we will be back next week. Thank you.